I think our world is very quick now with how we communicate with each other and it's easy to always be like on screens. I like to just like sit down and like actually get a real piece of paper and like write down what is it that I really want. So if you're thinking of using this for data science, what I would say is like, what's your motivation for getting into data science? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science podcast, the only self-development podcast for data scientists. You're going to learn from and be inspired by the people, ideas, and conversations that'll encourage creativity and innovation in yourself so that you can do the same for others. I also host Open Office Hours. You can register to attend by going to bitly.com forward slash a-D-S-O-H. I look forward to seeing you all there. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. Our guest today is an advocate for women in data science and loves to share her thoughts on tech, personal development, and lifestyle. She's earned a master's in analytics from Villanova University, a bachelor's in psychology from Sacramento State University, and is currently an AI strategy consultant for Accenture Applied Intelligence. You might recognize her as the instructor of SQL for Data Science with UC Davis and Coursera, where she's trained over 70,000 people in data science, including me. She's helping pave the way for women in data science as being the first female instructor for data science on the Coursera platform, and as a founder and CEO of Women in Data Science, a nonprofit organization focused on increasing diversity in data careers. She brings a unique combination of technical expertise, analytics management, and an ability to lead organizational change through compassion and strategic problem solving. So please, help me in welcoming our guest today, an advocate for democratizing artificial intelligence and helping people transition into the fourth industrial revolution, Sadie St. Lawrence. Sadie, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come on the show. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. And I am so happy to be talking with one of my students. You know, one of the great things about teaching on Coursera is the reach, but then sometimes you miss that actual connection. So anytime people are like, I'm in Sacramento, or I get to connect with them, it always just brightens my day. Yeah, yeah. It was a couple of years ago when I was like trying to brush up SQL skills and whatnot. I come across your course on Coursera and it was uh, really helpful to make the connections again and because I hadn't used SQL in some time, but it was such a good course. Thank you for creating that. And it has benefited a lot of our listeners here as well. But talk to us about how you first heard of data science and what drew you to this field. Yeah, so I can't really pinpoint the actual time. I think it was a Google search or maybe even a LinkedIn ad, but I do remember what led me to it. So at that time, I was working in a neuroscience lab um, studying emotional learning and memory. And, you know, I thought that I was going to go get my PhD in neuroscience. I really just love the scientific method. Um, I've, I really love like having a question and answering it. But at that time, I was a little depressed with working in a lab that was in a basement, and then I was working with rats and, and dissecting them, and I was just really frustrated with the, the process of collecting the data. I just wanted to like skip through that process as fast as possible and get to the analysis and the findings of it. And so a lot of times what I tell people is the best way to figure out what you want to do is find out what you don't want to do, and that's what I did. I looked at what I was doing at that time and I realized like I don't enjoy the data collection part. It doesn't move fast enough for me, but I enjoy the analysis part. 
So I went to my trusted advisor, Google, right? Start doing some searching of like, how do I keep this, but get rid of that? And that's when I landed on data science. And at this time, it was 2014. It was a fairly new field. And what I heard from it was a lot of people were leaving academia to come into it. And it was a little bit about these rebels. And I've always been a little bit of a rebel myself. And I just really fell in love with what it had to offer. But really just the impact it can have. You know, when I was doing an experiment not a lot of people are reading research papers, you know, on their time off, but everyone gets affected by the algorithms we interact with today. And to know that your work can have that effect really drew me to the field. When you talk about data collection in the laboratory with the mice, like, can you describe that for us? Yeah. So prior to mice, I was working with fish and there was, I remember a year where I was at school 365 days of the year, because I think people forget that you have to keep them alive, right, <laughs> to do your experience. Rats were a little bit better because, you know, you could leave them food over a, a few days and they would be okay. But yeah, a lot of people actually develop allergies with working with rodents. So there's that problem. The other issue I had was, you know, I would take care of these animals and then unfortunately, I would have to euthanize them to take out their brain. And that was actually a really hard part for me because I you kind of get a relationship with them, right? And, and then in a way, I just felt like it was very wasteful. And so like part of my working with them was like, how can we do science in a more ethical way, right? And so like that really also led me in the direction I wanted to go because it's like this data already exists. It's, you know kind of just laying out there waiting for people, like what can we do to utilize that more versus, you know, causing harm? That sounds a lot messier than pulling data from an API. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say messy because, right, we talk about cleaning data and everything. Yeah, if you want to talk about messy, you know, talk about trying to get your rat to run around in a cage and monitor their behavior. Like, there's, it can always get way messier. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so how much more hyped has data science become since you made your transition? I have been kind of surprised by it, I will say. You know, 2014 is now what, six years ago? That's crazy to even think about. I knew that it was going to have a big impact. Part of the reason why I started Women in Data, because I started it in 2015. So I knew that it was going to have an impact, but I really didn't think it would be this long standing, right? I think most people are familiar with the Gartner curve for where it goes through the hype cycle. But you know, with other technologies such as blockchain, I, I feel like they really followed the curve and kind of died. But AI and data science has really just continued to pick up excitement and applicability really even further than I imagined. So it's been a wild ride, I will say. Yeah, it's interesting because it's really the combination of two old ideas being put together in a new way and with the new innovations in technology, like the compute power has just been able to facilitate that growth. I don't ever see it slowing down because like, if you look at our world, all our connected devices, like we got a ring that collects data, watch that collects data, like data is constantly being collected. It's never not going to stop being collected. And they're always going to need professionals like us to, to wade through it and make sense of it, right? Yeah. And I always have to really give the gamers a lot of credit actually, because you know, as you said, it's the old and the new coming together. These algorithms have been around for a long time, but we hadn't been able to take advantage of them. And so to me, just the brilliance of the people who created these algorithms, you know, like you created something that wasn't even fully realized yet for another 20, 40 years. But really, it comes from the gaming community developing graphics computers and pushing the boundaries on that, that then allowed us to start to use um, these algorithms because of the computing power. So I think it's really cool when you understand like how many industries in a way have come together to make this possible. What do you think is going to be the biggest positive impact that data science is going to have it's kind of a flip side. It could be the most positive impact and it could be also the most negative impact. So it really comes down to the automation of things, right? 
to take essentially, I really like the way Andrew Ng describes it, where we're not automating huge tasks, we're automating things that take us one second to do, right? And so in the interim, it seems like a small thing, right? Maybe prioritizing your inbox sooner or providing, you know, recommendations to you so you didn't have to search for things as far, right? It doesn't seem like a big thing that we're accomplishing yet. But if you essentially take all those one second tasks of things we're doing and add them up, and as the industry progresses, we're going to be automating a big portion of our life. And so, From that standpoint, the positive side of that is that can allow us to free our time in a way where we are now, you know, having more time to develop deeper connections with people, care about, you know, bigger social economic issues. We can also start to, you know, have more maybe creative time, right? It allows us to free ourselves from some of those menial tasks that we have to do that bog us down. But then... As I mentioned, there's two sides to this coin, which is the negative impact of it. And the negative impact, I think, is where people's job gets replaced and we don't transition those people into new careers and it creates more economic divide um, within our society. So I think we really have to be conscientious at this time and how we're progressing and the next you know five years are going to make a really big difference so in the next five years what do you think is going to separate the great data scientists from the just good data scientists i have seen so much automation in our own industry i think it's kind of funny because in a way we're automating ourselves right when i first started it was most people used R and slowly switched over to Python a little bit more. But even within there, you know, it was thought you would like create these algorithms. Now so much is out of the box. I just recently used um, Salesforce Einstein platform and their discovery and just, you know, the amount of what is able to be done just in a GUI tool, right, where you can put this at the hands of marketers or salespeople, and they're actually like running algorithms now, which is just fantastic, I think, but it may scare some data scientists and like, well, what is really my job then, right? And so I think what's going to really separate out the good from the great is those people who will be able to clearly identify the business problem that they're trying to solve and then understand how to scale that up in a business that will transform the business model. So we'll, I think we'll have, I kind of look at it as like little fireworks, right, going off of everybody can, you know, run their own algorithms. But how do you integrate that algorithm into the whole business model that actually changes the way your business operates? And I think when we think a little bit larger, right, so not just thinking of like, oh, I made this model, But how is it going to be used and how is it going to either transform the business or start to, you know, in a way, create revenue for the business? You know, I'll give you an example. The TikTok, if you've been watching, is trying to go through an acquisition and they said, yeah, you can get us, but you don't get our algorithm. And people are like, okay, we don't want to buy. That's value you created with the algorithm, right? The fact that like, you're a great data scientist if you've created something so much where people won't buy if they don't have your algorithm. And I think that's where the great data scientists need to be thinking is just a little bit higher level and bigger business thinking. I absolutely agree with that 100%. Thank you. Very beautifully put. So question I want to ask, uh, moving into some of your SQL expertise here. I think this is something that the audience is dying to know. When it comes to SQL, what do you think are the essential must-knows for people who are breaking into the field? I'll just start with like why I love it so much. (laughs) SQL is like your grandma's cooking, I feel like. It's so tried and true. Like there's been so much new technology and new languages coming in, but like we haven't gotten rid of SQL for like years. It is not going away anytime soon. So like I think one of the great things is like the more you invest in it, just – 
like it's it's never gonna fail you you know it's kind of just gonna be like that home cooked meal that just always like hits the spot and so where I think people can really invest is reading to me it's like reading other people's code like I want to see how SQL is such a simple language right you have your select you have where you're getting your from statement and then you have some clauses right and it's very simple structure but there's so much creativity that can come around it and so much that can be done to me for for what I like to do is just reading other people's code because it inspires me of like oh I would never have thought to solve the problem that way and I think that's the best thing you can do to like continually just invest in your skills um, is by getting inspired and coming up with new creative solutions what's up artists i would love to hear from you feel free to send me an email to the artists of data science at gmail.com let me know what you love about the show let me know what you don't love about the show and let me know what you would like to see in the future i absolutely would love to hear from you i've also got open office hours that i will be hosting and you can register by going to bitly.com com forward slash a d s o h i look forward to hearing from you all and i look forward to seeing you in the office hours let's get back to the episode what do you think is the most commonly misunderstood concept in sql or something that really starts to trip people up during the interview process i think a lot of it is getting in our own head and making it more complex than it needs to be. I've failed SQL interviews before, before I started teaching, where, yeah, I really just got in my own head and tried to, you know, because I thought it was an interview, I thought it was supposed to be hard and I was making it harder than it needed to be. Like I said, Siegel is a very simple language, and I think the more we can boil it down to the simplicity of how we write a statement, the better you'll be, right? If you know you have two options in an interview and one is like really complex that you did, and then you're like, I think this other one may work, it's a little bit more simple, I'd go with the simple one. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's just a very simple, elegant language and very readable. So you can tell exactly what it's doing just by reading it, which is also the power of it, right? It's able to communicate clearly across people using it. Thank you for that. So enough with the data science stuff. Let's get into some interesting things. So you've got this really excellent blog about the action plan for getting into data science. Well, I guess we're going to stick with the data science topic here. But I think it's a great action plan for getting anything that you want in life. Uh, Would you mind walking us through this action plan that you've got? Yeah. So, you know, I love that you say it's a great way to get anything you want in life because one of the things I think life is talking about, I think life is a lot more simple than we, you know, make it out to be, right? I think that what I've found is I've switched my career multiple times. I was a piano performance major. I was in, you know, psychology and neuroscience and then went to data science, right? Um, But what I found is like the same principles that made me good in one of those careers also made me good in data science as well. And so part of this action plan really came from like, how do I take the principles that I've learned in things I found success in and apply it to this new, you know, industry as well? And that's one of the first things I just encourage anyone to do is really, if you're looking to get into data science and transitioning from something else, what made you successful in that area? And like, what principles did you apply? Because those same principles, you know, will probably apply here. And so the action plan is really, like I said, just something I use for my life, which is like first taking quiet time to write down my goals and getting myself organized. I think our world is very quick now with how we, you know, communicate with each other. And it's easy to always be like on screen. I like to just like sit down and like actually get a real piece of paper and like write down, you know, 
Like, what is it that I really want? So if you're thinking of using this for data science, what I would say is like, what's your motivation for getting into data science, right? Like, how much do you want to get paid, right? Like, what does a day in your mind look like as a data scientist look? And write down those goals. And then the next thing you do is really prioritize. So, you know, once you've written down like what your goal is and kind of broken out what you need to get there, you need to prioritize what you're focused on to do that. So a lot of people in data science for sure get overwhelmed by how much you need to know. You don't need to know it all at first and like you won't ever know it all. Like that's the beauty of it. If you think about it at the core, you need four areas. And I think I talk about this too in one of my posts, which is, you know, you need like a data visualization skill, you need database skills, you need algorithms, and then you need communication, right? So maybe those are your four starting points. And then you just prioritize one thing you're going to do to learn in each of those areas. And once you prioritize it, this is really important because if you try and do everything, you won't see progress. When you have four things you're focused on, you can easily see progress. And the next part is to stay the course. So this is where, you know, the, the grit comes in, the hard work, right? Like you got to put some work in to even to get some input out to see, is this the right thing for me? So like, don't give up before you're three feet away from your prize. And then it's really just about the second step, which is reflecting often, right? Like what's working, what isn't working. I'm a huge fan of like, I keep very detailed track of my time and keep very detailed track of like what my end results were. I, you know, use it as a way to study myself. So like, do you not like learning on an online format? Do you need to find a community to learn with, right? Like analyze yourself in this process so that you can optimize yourself. And then finally, the last portion is to get support. And this is something that could really go all around it. And part of the main reasons I started Women in Data, because I knew that if I was going to do um, data science, I needed a community and a tribe of people to be a part of. So talking about communication, what do you think are some of the soft skills that data science need to really employ to elevate their careers? There's so many. Um, soft skills are, I think, so often overlooked. One of the first ones I would say is communicating your own results, right? There's a lot of times I have had different models or things that I've created, but because I didn't know how to properly articulate it and communicate it, they never got used. And it's really a shame because you know, it was a great model or it was a great analysis, but it didn't get used because I missed that last part of communicating it. So one, like knowing how to communicate it to different people, usually business people is really important. In that same regard of, you know, communicating with people outside your industry, data science isn't just about building models and doing that type of work, like you're working usually for a business, right? So how do you communicate with other team members? How do you communicate with your boss, right? Like having those emotional skills to know and understand team dynamics will really help in how you progress in your career so that you can continue to be promoted throughout your journey. Speaking about team dynamics and communication, Talk to us about how to use verbal judo so that we could be a bit more persuasive. Yes, I think there is a book called Verbal Judo. I think I've actually read it. So I won't paraphrase what they say. I'll just say how I use it. It's a testing and learning process, right? Back to like keeping kind of data on yourself, keeping data on, you know, what worked and what didn't. And as you grow and learn is there's different styles of people, you know, there are, I would say one of the things that helped me the most is first listening to how others talk. You know, are they a quick kind of scattered pace, right? Do you need to move fast when you talk to them? Are they a more slow, relaxed, methodical need to get into the details? And so what Technique I would use a lot is what's called mirroring. So before I actually, you know, verbal judo them, I want to listen to them to understand, okay, how do they speak? Because that's going to tell me a lot on how they're going to receive what I'm saying. And once you, you know, have listened to them, then mirror that back, right? With executives, you'll notice they have a million things on their mind. They like things usually at a really high level and quick pace. 
So mirror that back with them when you're communicating. So speaking more about executives, so data scientists, you know, obviously we have a bunch of technical knowledge and we always like to showcase that. And we assume that other people will share our viewpoint and appreciation for all this technical stuff. But like you mentioned, executives, they kind of just want to get to the point, right? So talk to us about what we could do if we find ourselves in a room full of executives and we have to communicate our ideas. Yeah, so there's a really good um, YouTube video. It's called, I think it's called How to Speak Like a Consultant from an ex-McKinsey consultant. And I really like it because it talks about, you know, taking a top-bottom approach, which is like, bring it down to a sentence. What's the point you're trying to get across? Then maybe like a subtext, and then maybe have some sub additional bullets to support what you're saying down below. So what I would say is summarize it like, it should, what you're trying to communicate should be boiled down to a sentence. And if you can get so clearly to that point, that will help a ton in how your message is received. So you have this awesome blog about the data science mindset. Can you describe that for us? Yes, this is really where I think everything starts. I'm so such a fan of like, having diverse people come into data science. Um, I often talk about how the skills are, you know, you can learn the skills, but like having the mindset is really, you know, the foundation. And so like the mindset, it really just starts with like curiosity of, you know, want, like wanting to dive into the details to solve a problem. Curiosity is something I feel like, you know, I teach SQL, but I can't teach people to be curious. It's either you have it or you don't. So I think that's really important. The second portion I think is really important is just like your tenacity, right? Like there's so much new stuff to learn. We've talked a little bit about messy data and just the problems that you're that are going to come at you. Like you need to have a lot of tenacity and to be able to get through the problem that you're trying to, you know, solve. So when I think about the mindset of it all, like for me, it's really like, you know, the last thing is then having that growth mindset. So am I always looking at learning new things? Because in this industry, like you're never going to know it all. So you should just accept it and be okay with the fact that you'll be continually learning. Yeah, I think once you're faced with just the vast amount of stuff that you don't know, you start to feel overwhelmed by all the stuff you don't know. That's kind of what kills the curiosity. Now you're just like, ah, fuck it. I'm just not going to learn. Just not going to be curious. But by not being afraid of this or stunned into inaction by all you don't know, you kind of maintain that curiosity. So do you have any tips for data scientists who are maybe at a, a networking event? What would be the proper etiquette to, you know, maybe network with the person online or in person? Yeah. So I've never liked networking. I'll just be honest. I have actually changed my mindset about it a little bit. And what I have done has been really helpful and I've gotten better results. And so what I've changed it to is thinking in a way of not networking, but relationship building. And I think everybody feels a little bit slimy when they think about networking. We all know it's, you know, beneficial. We should do it, blah, blah, blah. Right. But we all feel a little slimy. So what I would say is think of it like relationship building and like, how do you like people to build relationships with you? Right. One, you normally find common interests Two, there's all, there's usually a value exchange. Right. And three, like you want to be around people who make you feel good. I see a lot of younger people, you know, try and network with somebody because of their position of power. And they often forget themselves about, well, does it being around this person even make me feel good? Right. And so I think if you change your focus to, hey, I'm just trying to build relationships with people, you know, kind of go back to kindergarten. I want to make new friends, you know, and like maybe something great will come out of it. I think you'll be really successful. And when it comes to working on a team environment, what should we do if we're in a situation where we don't know the answer to a solution or don't know the answer to a problem rather, but we don't want to openly communicate that with our teammates? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I would have to see what the culture of the team is, right? You know, if it's not a open environment where people feel like they can be vulnerable and be like, I don't know, but like, can somebody help me? Then what I would say is, you know, find somebody that you can trust and ask and do it on a one off kind of basis. And hopefully there is one person on your team where they you can, they may not know the answer, but they can maybe point you in the right direction. I would say what's the better thing is to start to build a culture where people can be vulnerable and say, I don't know, I need help. Can people figure it out? Um, but that's sometimes a little bit longer journey. But I would say definitely talk to you know one person who may have the answer, even if they don't have the answer. Sometimes for me, just explaining what my problem is. And as I talk it through to someone, I'm like, oh, wait, I figured it out. <laughs> I'm like, thanks for listening. So and you can ask, you know, maybe it's even just your partner or your mom and even those people help sometimes too. Yeah. It's like the, the rubber ducky effect, I guess. Rubber ducky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm curious, how do you view data science? Do you think it's a art? Do you think it's just purely a hard science? What's your take on that? I think it's 50-50. I think if you don't have the art side of it, what you will end up with is something very technical but never useful to the business. And so if you're feeling frustrated from that of like, "Ah, I just feel like I kind of missed the mark, like I know it's a good model or I know it's a good analysis – then I'd encourage you to like, you know, explore some arts more in your hobby and see how you can implement that. If you're too much on the art side of things, where you may end up is everybody being like, oh, that's cool. And then not going anywhere from there too. And if that's the case, then what I would say is, you know, take some technical classes. And I always try and just switch my learnings from technical to, you know, a different art hobby. I've just recently gotten into painting. And so, you know, doing things, I think, outside of your role and your job is so undervalued and rated because that's where I get my inspiration from. And so I think sometimes even thinking broadening your lens will help you in data science as well. Thank you very much. And I agree with you on that. Just do something outside your own field. Let your mind wander. Like you probably have those called transient hypofrontality when you're doing a task that's not associated with the task you're doing, but just kind of like freeform doing it. And you're actually working on problems in the back of your mind. And you might have that eureka moment while you're painting or going on a walk or playing guitar. I'm not sure if you've heard of that phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't heard of it as that term, but I've definitely experienced it, you know, like a lot of shower moments, right, where you're like, totally inspired. Um, yeah, it's just enough effort where your conscious mind is busy. So it gets it out of the way, right? But your subconscious mind can like really do its work and then surface to make the magic. Yeah. So this being a self-development podcast for data scientists, and you being a self-development blogger, we would have to would have to discuss some of this stuff. So talk to us about how we can own our career. This one's hard. It's uh, it's hard to lose that victim mentality, right? I I get to see a lot of people with in women in data who, you know, want to get a promotion or want to, you know, change their role to a different thing. And then there's all these excuses, right? Well, you know, it's COVID and the economy's bad. That's the main one right now. You know, my company doesn't allow for people of this age to be promoted up or whatnot. And a lot of where that comes from is like a limiting mindset and belief. And I think first recognizing that it's a first a mindset issue, right? And that you're going to have to change your thoughts into overcoming that. And so when you're owning your career, you're taking responsibility for where you're at today and not being a victim of, oh, well, my company doesn't believe in this or won't allow this, right? It's like, we'll switch companies. It's a free and trade world, right? I think so often people forget that they're an at-will employee, right? Or if you're, you know, or maybe it's not even switching. Maybe it's moved to a new team, right? But at the end of the day, like, it's your choice. It's your mindset. And so when you 
if you want to own your career, really what you need to do is look at and see what things can I control in my life. And when you start 100% focusing on those, the world around you is going to change. Once I stopped being the victim of my own life, like things just got so much better. For the first part of my career, I kind of felt like I was the victim of my own life. But then I just chose to adopt a new belief system about things. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that people don't really appreciate is that you can choose to not believe your thoughts. Like Just because you have them doesn't make them real. And you can choose to pick which ones you want to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can choose to update your own belief system. Like These things yeah. are possible. Like You can do it. Yeah, you can get new software and install, right? Yeah. You know, I think that's like the most exciting thing. I mean, sometimes I get a little bug, you know, in my brain when I'm trying to install some new software and belief system, but eventually it will pick it up, right? And I think you make such a great point of realizing that you are not your thoughts, right? I just recently did a little video on my Instagram about imposter syndrome. That's a question I get a lot And one of my tips for overcoming it is realizing you're not your thoughts, even though that thought may be coming in and saying like, you're a fraud, you're a fraud. Like, no, that's a bad software system that you need to update. You talked about how to focus on things that you just are in control of. And speaking of software systems, I uh, just making this analogy, like I updated my software system and like my philosophy of life is now like stoicism, capital S mm-hmm. stoicism. And one of the main tenets of that is just focusing primarily on the things that are within your own control, within your power. And that is almost entirely the things that go on in your head. And yeah. So, and when you realize that's about all you can control, I realized how much work I had cut out for me, right? At first I felt like it was limiting, you know, like all I get to control is my thoughts. And then I started getting in there and I was like, oh, there's a lot I can do. And that changes a lot when I start focusing on it. What are your steps for combating imposter syndrome? I think the first one, I don't remember the order of my video. The first one was realizing you are not your thoughts, right? So just stopping that dead in its tracks. The second thing, though, is as I've also moved up in my career, I had this idea of like people in executive positions and whatnot. And then you interact with them and you realize, oh, they're just humans. (laughs) Like, it's kind of like the curtain gets revealed, right? It's like, oh... (laughs) And one of the things, the quotes I love is that no one is less than me and no one is more than me, right? And when you realize that, like, wow, this is just a human being with thoughts and feelings just like I am, right? It brings us down to the same level. And when we're all at the same level, there is no imposter, right? I am human. You are human, right? We're at that. And that's really comforts me a lot. When I'm, I go into rooms a lot where I'm like the only woman and I'm a lot younger than people. And I'm like, nope, at the end of the day, still a human being who wants to be loved just like anybody else. And so that has helped me. And then the last thing is really that action cures fear. I think too many times we use imposter syndrome as like an excuse to not of why we're not taking action to like, you know, sit on that board seat or, you know, raise your hand that you want to do that project. And the only way to overcome that is is starting to take action against it. So you touched on it a little bit. I was wondering if we can dig deeper into it, if you could speak to your experience being a woman in data, and if you have any words of encouragement for the women in our audience who are breaking into the field or are currently in the field. Yeah. So I think one of the things is this message is really for anybody who feels different, right? I focus on women just because we know there is a disproportionate women amount of women in this industry. And, you know, I feel passionate about how relevant it's going to be in the future. But there was someone I was talking with the other day, I think we need to broaden our aspect of diversity a little bit, because sometimes diversity just is mindset, right? Of like, maybe you feel like you have different values than a lot of the people you work with, right? And you're afraid to voice those concerns. And, you know, when I think about like diversity and inclusion, it's like really all of us, no matter how we look, we can show up as our full self and not feel like we need to hide anything, and I, you know, if I give anybody kind of like what my experience has been, like a lot of times I would say I've 
tried to hide parts of myself, right, to fit in. And, you know, what I can say to data scientists or anybody being in tech, that's the worst thing you can do because those individual traits about what make you unique is going to get you that job that's a great fit for you. It's going to make you stand out against the crowd. I mean, there's so many people getting masters in data science and AI, you know, to really stand out of it, the crowd, you know, Share that you love collecting baseball cards or whatever it is, or share, you know, your side hobby, because that's going to help you find your tribe and your gang. And that's going to make you sure you find a place where you fit in. So, you know, really my work with women in data is just making helping to create an environment of future where everybody feels like they can fully express and be themselves and not feel backlash from it. So talk to us a little bit more about your involvement with women in data. Like what was the moment that caused you to start this organization? What were some of the hurdles you had to jump over to start the organization? Can you kind of talk to us about the genesis of that? Yeah, so this was in 2015. I was one year into my master's and there was only one other person, other female with me in my master's. In the whole program, I only had one female teacher and I was just like feeling like, is this really my tribe, you know? And like, where are all the women? Because I think that where we're moving is not that technology is its own sector segment. Technology is woven into all of business and especially like data. And so I really didn't know what I was doing. And I started a meetup group. The first event, I literally just said, hey, let's meet at a restaurant, Um, you know, let's network, whatever. And I sat there by myself. I was so nervous because I was just like, this is a dumb idea. (laughs) What am I doing? And, you know, it was about, you know, a couple of minutes past the hour. And I'm like, nobody's coming. Like, nobody's going to, like, nobody else is going to show up. And, like, this great fear of, like, I'm going to be alone. Um, And so I called my boyfriend and he was like, just stay 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, I can stay 15 minutes. Like that seems like an achievable goal. And within those 15 minutes, three women showed up. And I always think back to this moment because I think like, how close are we all to doing something great, but we maybe leave before the 15 minutes, right? And I just think if I hadn't stayed that 15 minutes, like women in data wouldn't have been born. And so from there, you know, a lot of it came from just listening to our community. What do they need? Knowing what I needed. And we started to create really fantastic events, create really fantastic communities. And from there, like women in data has just spread. So today we are in 32 cities. We're in 11 countries. We have really grown now beyond just having events, um, but we have memberships where we provide career coaching. We have residency programs for people to do internships. We have job boards and really just at the heart of it, a really fantastic community. So it's just been so exciting to see it flourish. and to see just the impact that we've been able to make uh, by staying 15 more minutes. Absolutely love that. How can people join the organization? Where can they find out more about it? Yeah, so it's womenindata.org and all the information to join is there. You can join as a member um, on the website. We also have our local chapters, which you can find on our community page and you can join a community group. And then all of our social handles are women in data ORG as well. So you can connect with us on social too. Awesome. I will include the links for that. What can the data community do to help foster the inclusion of women in the field? Yeah. So one of the, a great quote I heard the other day was, until women's traits are respected as much as male traits, we won't get to equality. And I think, you know, that really resonated with me because what I think we're missing with women being in the field will really benefit both genders. And why I say that is things that we think are 
female traits, and I use air quotes right now, are things like um, compassion, right? Are things like collaboration. You know, they're things like community. And to me, like, I don't know any guy who's like, no, those are terrible words. I don't want that, right? I don't want community. I don't want collaboration. Like most teams want that, but I feel like often that doesn't get respected in the value that it has. And so one of the things I would say is if you're a guy, value that trait, like value somebody who's creating collaboration on your team, value somebody who's, you know, is really compassionate and thoughtful in how they operate, right? Versus what we see a lot today in our world is promoting somebody who's aggressive and, you know, trying to get more than the other person and trying to self-promote, right? That gets promoted, unfortunately, a lot in our businesses today. So how do we more promote collaboration, connection, community? And I think when we promote those things, women will want to be a part of the field and the industry. Thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. Last formal question before we jump to a quick lightning round. And that is, what's the one thing you want people to learn from your story? Yeah, I would say that if you can dream it, you can do it. If that thought came into your mind, like you've already been blessed. The hardest part is to like get the idea, to get the inspiration. Once you get that thought, go write it down right away and put that action plan into place. But yeah, I mean, I I come from a background where it wasn't technical. I learned the technical skills. It wasn't one where I had a lot of influences, you know, in this area. I am the first woman in my family to get her master's degree, to work in tech. And so I think what it is, it really just comes down to what we've talked about and being your mindset around it. And know that if you thought it and you dreamed it, the hardest part is done. You're already halfway there. Now it's just putting that action plan into place to do it. I love it. See it, believe it, reach it, achieve it. Yes, you got it. <laughs> Jumping into a quick lightning round here. If you could meet any historical figure, who would it be and what would you ask them? Right now, Ada Lovelace, she, to me, embodies, you know, art and science, right? She talks about, like, mathematical poetry, which to me is just, like, beautiful. She created one of the first computer programs. Yeah, so what I would ask her is, I would probably ask her, oh, there's so many questions. Picking one question, <laughs> what I would ask her to, I would want to know, like, where she gets her inspiration from. You know, like what inspired her? What do you believe that other people think is crazy? It's getting more popularity, but probably just like the power of manifestation, right? I really believe in that, you know, the energy you put out in the world comes back to you and it's physics, you know? (laughs) And so by having this little brain mechanism that puts out energy in my thoughts, they really do take form and manifest. If you could have a billboard placed anywhere, what would you put on it and why? I think what I would put on it would just, right now I'm doing a lot of work in terms of caring for my inner child and self. And I think a lot of times we lose ourselves, right? And so one of the thing I would put on it is like, do one thing that brings you joy today. I think that we need more joy in our world. And I think a lot of times we all abandon ourselves for what brings us joy. And yeah, I just like to remind people like you can choose joy. And like if everybody did one thing today that brought them joy, like I think we'd start to see a little bit different world. Speaking of the inner child, if we can somehow get a magical telephone that allowed you to contact 18 year old Sadie, what would you tell her? I would tell her, relax, like it's all going to be okay and never stop dreaming because like you don't even know the possibilities of what could happen. You know, it's, it's going to be quite magical. So just enjoy the journey. What are you most curious about right now? Curious? I'm, I've been really into finding a new um, algorithm of the week. 
uh, or like a mathematical, sorry, I shouldn't say algorithm, a new equation and how the world operates on that equation. And so that's kind of been my latest curiosity. It's like once a week, I challenge myself to find a new equation and to find how the universe follows this equation gets me really inspired because it makes me realize how connected everything is. I think you'd really enjoy the book by Scott E. Page called The Model Thinker. Mm. And it's a big book of mental models of models and formulas. It's really good. Um, and if you're interested, you can listen to the interview I did with him. Yes, I would love science. that. But yeah, it's a really good book. It sounds like it'll be right up your alley. What is an academic topic outside of data science that you think every data scientist should spend some time studying about? I would say physics. Yeah, I secretly want to be a physicist. So, you know. I maybe I'm a little biased in that, but yeah, core elements of how the world works, I think, are just so applicable. So I'm reading this book right now. You might enjoy it as well. Loon Shots. It's written by a physicist, Safi Bacall. Oh, nice. It's a mix of physics, history, and business all in one. It's a really interesting book. Um, definitely check that out if you, if you get a chance. Speaking of book recommendations, what would you recommend our audience read? Fiction, nonfiction, whatever book, for me, the one of those topics or both. And what was your most impactful takeaway from it? I would recommend both. I think follow your own curiosity. I have a little bit more trouble with nonfiction, but yeah, so I can't speak much on that, that topic. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a fiction book that you recommend everyone read? I really love the book Think and Grow Rich. It was just like so foundational to me. I think in terms of like self-help, it's one of like the first like really just great foundational ones. So life hack for everybody. It is available for free on Spotify. You can listen to it in its entirety. Nice. What song do you currently have on repeat? You know, I've been really into Mariah Carey lately. So just like anything by Mariah Carey. (laughs) Which decade? 90s for sure. All right. So which, which track from the 90s? Probably right now, Always Be My Baby. (laughs) The one that immediately comes into my head every time I hear the name Mariah Carey. (laughs) So how can people connect with you? Where can they find you online? Yeah, so pretty easy. My website is sadiestlawrence.com. All of my social handles are Sadie St. Lawrence. So I'm very active on Instagram, Twitter. I'm getting more active, LinkedIn. So yeah, definitely happy to connect anywhere. Sadie, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks. It's been my pleasure.